Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Welcome to the ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports on the Believe Podcast Network. Continuing to bring you conversations with experts in the field of sports, players, coaches, broadcasters, executives, you name it. We're going to try to reach out and have that conversation. Today's guest can kind of fit into almost all of that those categories. Phenomenal player, a great broadcaster, and he's a very good businessman from everything that I have seen. None other than fellow 2002 NBA draft member, Karan Butler. Karan, welcome to the ISO. Thanks for joining. How is life with you and your family, and where are you these days during the summer months? Uh, wow, that's a hell of an introduction. Uh, thanks <laughs> for having me on, bro. I have to take you on the road with me. Uh, it's, you know, it's been trying, you know, considering the pulse of what's happening in the world without, you know, live entertainment or any entertainment. You know, speaking of, you know, just you talk about racism, you talk about invisible racism, you talk about all the things. And, you know, I'll be I'll be very naive if I had to start a conversation of just not touching on some of the realities of what we face. And, and you know, someone that's been in the, the social injustice space for quite some time, um, since 2001, 2002. And I still serve on the board, the Vera Institute, where we, you know, address all the social issues, injustices, mass incarceration, immigration reform, so many others. Uh, you know, it's a heck of a time right now, but it's also a positive time because this conversation is able to be had, you know, um, on all platforms. I think that people are really moving the needle on the discussion and, you know, protesting and doing it peacefully. I think that's very important. And answer the other second part of your question, just enjoying my family in the process. Uh, you know, as I know, you know, we work extremely hard. You know, we got a lot of, you know, things lit on the iron. But at the same time, just, you know, having this quiet time has been really therapeutic and refreshing. You mentioned some of those uh, social issues, racism um, and kind of incarceration. Now, you and I have both been in, in locker rooms, high school, college, the NBA. Um, there's some of the most diverse, uh, from inner city black guys to suburban white guys like myself to Europeans. Um, you know, I can't imagine some of the things that, that some of the other teammates that I've had in the past have gone through. Um, do you feel as though the NBA has always been at the forefront of, of being open-minded and, and accepting others? Cause I've always felt that way. I don't know about you. Yeah, I, I really do feel like it has, you know, um, outside of, you know, some little hiccups when people was, you know, going crazy with the dress codes and all that stuff, you know, because you're pivoting away from, you know, the culture or what the NBA represents, you know, when over 80% of, you know, the, the, the players and, you know, uh, the guys that really are ultimately the care that draws fans in are, you know, black. So I think that, Adam has done a remarkable job. You know, David did an amazing job, God rest his soul, you know, of marketing the game from a global standpoint and, you know, making sure that the shell of the company and how you wanted the observation of it to look was strictly business and professional. But I think Adam went a little deeper 
where he pulled back the layers of the culture of the NBA and made it a point of emphasis to market it in that way. You know, like, this is who we are. This is what it is. And it's amazing just to see, like, you know, even now, you know, with all the things that we're addressing um, in the world, uh, the NBA is, as a brand, you know, at the forefront. You know, we was the first team or uh, organization to uh, pull back and say that COVID is, you know, dangerous. And now we're one of the first organizations that's trying to go back to live play and make sure that social injustices is still like the point of emphasis, you know, down in Orlando. So, you know, I, I love, you know, our league. I love what we stand for. And I love the fact that, you know, Adam, amazing commissioner, listen to the players. You know, the second part that you initially had touched on was uh, incarceration. And, you know, I know you've got a very well-known path about as a youth, you were starting to head down the wrong road uh, and you were arrested a number of times, but you've been very open and honest about the mistakes that you've made. Um, and you've been open and honest about the transformation in your life to allow you to have uh, the ability to have a successful playing career. Was there one moment or one person that really um, shined the light in your eyes that said, hey, this is what I want to do and this is how I need to go about doing it? Dan, that's a great question. I think uh, it was a multiple of things. You know, as a collective, I, I look back at my, grand, my grandmother, my grandfather, clearly my mother, uh, my aunts, uh, my uncles, you know, just the messaging. It, it, it kind of like, I don't know when I got it, like as they say, but when I did get it, it was just like all those conversations made sense at one time, you know? So it was just years of people just pouring into me and giving me a wealth of insight. And, you know, uh, for a long time, you know, I wasn't listen, listening to the messaging. Uh, but, you know, once my, you know, my, I, I really just came a victim of my own demise. And, you know, once I went down that path and, you know, Luckily, I didn't lose my life or anything like that. And I was, you know, sentenced to corrections. And when I did go and I got out, you know, I think that when I was in there, the most important thing that I did was I rehabilitated myself. You know, I addressed my traumas. And I think that's something that don't traditionally happen. Uh, people usually go to jail to be better criminals. You know, they get different insight. They get different, you know, things, you know, thrown at them. And I always say that if someone goes there and they're cast away from society and they're not rehabilitated, they're clearly going to come out worse than ever. And they can be a threat to you. They can be a threat to someone you love. And that's how, you know, that happens. That's a phenomenal perspective on, on rehabilitating people who um, maybe have made poor choices in the, in the past, but they've got a, a bright future if somebody helps them out. Um, I want to shift now to, to playing career. You were drafted in 2002 after um, a, a nice career at UConn. With your early part of your NBA career, you started off, I believe it was, with the Heat, and then you got traded. At what point did you realize, hey, I've got a chance to make a 10-plus NBA career out of this? You know, when I went <laughs> – when I went to uh... – Miami and playing under the godfather of the game, Pat Riley, and being able to take 
like everything he thrown at me uh, from, you know, film study or just, you know, working hard, the preparation component of it and, you know, being competitive in practice every day, not some days, but developing that consistency. Uh, and it was just a mentality thing, like having the right disposition night in and night out. Once I like left there, cause that was like the hardest of all like organizations. If you can get through there, you can make it anywhere. Like they say with New York City and stuff like that. Like you make it here, you can make it anywhere. When I went through that process and went to Los Angeles and you know, I played with one of the greatest players, if not the greatest player ever in Kobe Bryant. And, you know, got that experience and saw like the way that he prepared for games and study film and all that. I knew that it wasn't a platform or a team that I couldn't play for. And I knew that I was going to have longevity because I seen the best like preparation. I've seen the best player. And then now all I had to do was just add those components, you know, to my, the fabric of what I was doing. And I knew I'd be, all right, going forward. That's interesting that you mentioned. If you can get through the Miami Heat organization uh, intact, <laughs> you got a chance to, to do things the right way and have a heck of a career. You're not the only guy that I've heard that from. I remember having a pre-draft workout there, and I always prided myself on work ethic, being in shape, but I couldn't believe how demanding that pre-draft workout was. Uh, and then you talked about playing with Kobe uh, for the Lakers. Now, you and I had a run-in, one of two technical fouls that I ever received in the NBA. Uh, one was simply for turning to an official and saying, what, with my hands up. Uh, the other one was you and I got in a little scrum. <laughs> End of the first half, I lose the ball, turn it over, and I take a little dive and I tackled you. Um, do you remember that? And <laughs> How many technical fouls besides that did you get that year? Because I remember two in my career. You probably had a lot more. Yeah, I had, I had a few. Considering the duration of my career, I, I had a few more. I, I probably averaged like, you know, probably three a, three a year. But I definitely remember that incident, uh, that incident because I just had – I was coming back off like a surgically uh, prepared – like I had my knee scoped. And I'll never forget, and you landed on my leg, and then you kind of like – you didn't just land on it. You kind of held on to it. <laughs> so when you held on to it, I was like – you know, I was already, like, protective mode with my body, like, because, you know, I was trying to make sure that I got those 10-plus years, as you <laughs> was talking about. So, uh, as you held on to it, I was like, is this dude crazy or something? Like, what are you doing on my legs? And I remember reaching down and just, I don't know if I, like, threw a punch or, like, threw an open hand hard hit. But I know I, it cost me a lot of money because I ended up getting suspended and uh, I missed the Christmas Day game. I think it cost me like about 50 grand, if I'm not mistaken. It was something crazy. But, uh, yeah, I was like, God. Well, I apologize me. for that. I, next time we <laughs> run into each other during the course of our broadcast travels, lunch is on me. I can't cover the 50000 <laughs> or whatever it was, but lunch is on me. Um, and I do remember that. I, I remember vividly the next morning getting a phone call from Stu Jackson. I'm sure you got a similar one. Because in the NBA, if you had a if you had an altercation, a scrum, you got a call the next morning. Uh, what is has your relationship been with the NBA powers that be, whether it was uh, Stu Jackson or now Adam Silver or David Stern, who you mentioned? Yeah, you know, I I always you know have a relationship with you know everyone. 
You know, I, I felt like that was like one of the most important things uh, to me while I was active, you know, understanding and learning how uh, things operate and function. Not just because, you know, people see like, like Instagram, you just see like the finished result of the post, but I wanted to see like what led to this mean post, like with the NBA. So I, I wanted to know behind the scenes. So I ended up going to uh, the NBA like probably seven years ago and doing an internship. And I, you know, came out of pocket. You know, uh, I told uh, the commissioner that I wanted to come down and just spend some time and see how, you know, the, the game function and how everything works, you know, from a business standpoint to ticket sales to, you know, marketing, everything. And, you know, paid, stayed in New York for two weeks, uh, did like an internship. Clearly it wasn't paid, but that was a time where, you know, I, I made a lot of, you know, very, very important relationships and, you know, are stronger now than ever. And, um, you know, just, I, I was always thinking like the next stage, like my second act. I think that's one of the, the common themes in all the conversations that I've had is uh, the network that you have the ability to grow for yourself and the relationships you develop uh, can help you in any industry that you have. And obviously you have your playing network. Now you shifted it into a business network. You learned a lot of things from that NBA front office, like you just mentioned, but you've become a successful businessman as well. What are some of the key components or characteristics that, that you think have been successful allowing you to do that? Well, I, I, I look at a lot of things. Uh, like, for instance, like independently, I think that when we went out and first did my book and they was like, this is the budget from a marketing standpoint. And I was like, okay, this is the, the capital that you're gonna give me, which wasn't much. But I had a billion dollars worth of resources, right? So I, I had like a network, which what we're talking about, of someone in every state that had like a million plus followers. So I said, I'm gonna independently like put this book out and uh, handle the distribution, work out a, like a small deal, and then I know that this will make like a ton of money. And then most importantly, it's going to be extremely informative for whoever reads it. And that was the book that we sold over 60,000 copies, like just because of the relationships that I had, you know what I mean? And the same thing like with business is just like, that was one thing, but just like putting myself in position while I was in position. So I'll never be out of position, if that makes sense. You know, some of the relationships that we made, like, you know, with Burger King in the beginning, you know, I arrived to a photo shoot for ESPN magazine like an hour, hour and a half early. And I was sharing a photo shoot, uh, a, a front page uh, magazine spread with a, a football player. The football player was like an hour and a half late from the time that we were supposed to do the shoot. and Long behold, some franchise owners and the head, the president of the franchise was there. And long story short, made that relationship, end up pivoting into the franchise space. And then that relationship was formed. So then I became a franchise owner of Burger Kings. You know, like, so it was just like things like that just wasn't planned. Like outside of the real estate and stuff that we do back here in Wisconsin and, you know, investing in the grad hotels and things like that. But a lot of stuff just like organically happened from just doing the right thing. You know what I mean? And people be like, damn, like that sounds like a fairy tale type of, 
but it, it, it really has happened that way. And I think that a lot of guys just don't, uh, you know, think outside because you can't play this thing forever. Here we both go right now, you know, on your podcast, sitting here talking and we're long retired, but, you know, we still able to, you know, make a great living doing what we do and what we love to do. And I think that guys have to start really thinking about, you know, what's next. You know what I mean? Always think about what's next. It's never a time too early to think that way. I think that's a great message of, of you being aware uh, of an opportunity and then ready to take advantage of an opportunity, never knowing where those are going to come from. Um, you took advantage of an opportunity with the Dallas Mavericks to win an NBA title. That's every player's goal and dream. What was that like uh, playing with Dirk and Jason Terry uh, winning the title that year? You know what? Dirk is – I. I can't even put it in words like people so often uh, when you're talking about all time greats and just leadership and tenacity and consistency and all those things, he don't get mentioned enough. Like clearly, you know, you come, you, you go with the sexy names on the, on the rosters or in NBA history, you know, of, you know, LeBron, and, you know, Kobe, and clearly, you know, all those names, which is definitely, you know, warranted and granted, but, Dirk did some amazing things. Just think about our championship run where we had to go through the Lakers, where we had to beat a Portland team, a Portland Trailblazer team with Brandon Roy, which was really stacked on the roster. If people look at that Portland team, it's like, yo, that's, that's crazy. That team was stacked. And then you look at OKC, where at a time where they had, you know, James Harden, Russell Westbrook, Kevin Durant, and the way that they was performing and playing at the time, and then going through the heatles, you know, uh, LeBron and Chris Bosh and D-Wade all in their prime still. So I think that was one of the most amazing uh, championship runs ever, you know, second to, you know, Isaiah Thomas, you know, where he had to go through Larry Bird, Michael Jordan, and Magic in the same year to ultimately win a championship. Yeah, that is uh, an impressive run that that Maverick team had that year. Uh, I had a short stint with the Mavericks um, my third year in the NBA, so it would have been 0405, and I can, I can vouch for that, Dirk, that he is as consistent as they come with his uh, work ethic, his preparation, his leadership. But I think one thing that separates a great franchise from a good franchise or, quite frankly, a bad one in the NBA is, is ownership. And Mark Cuban is one of the best owners in my eyes out there. What did you learn from Mark Cuban during your time with the Mavericks? I mean, that he's funny as hell, one. Like, <laughs> it's hilarious. But, uh, you know, it's, it's certain people. And, Dan, honestly, I've been extremely fortunate uh, to play for some great, great ownership, like, in the league. Like, when you talk about Mickey Harrison with the Miami Heat, when you talk about Jenny Buss, who's a good friend of mine, uh, Mark Cuban, good friend of mine, like, a Poland guy, rest his soul, but the Poland family still reaches out to this day. Uh, you know, Levesque up in Sacramento, that's my boy. Like, you know, just you you go through this process and, uh, you know, just connecting with Mark. Talked to him yesterday, literally, and he's going to be on the show tomorrow with me. Uh, there's certain people I feel like that God just placed in your life. Like, and – you know, I don't want to get all spiritual on you, but it's just like you just it's certain energies that 
you know, that you just gravitate to. And I felt like when I got traded there once, you know, Mark was just called me. He was like, yo, I'm happy you're here. I'm here with your boy, Kobe. He was like, damn, that was a great move. So all that, the Kobe calls, said, yo, man, congratulations. Y'all about to win the championship. And uh, I get to Dallas, and Marcus just, you know, just like, you can ask him anything. Like, he was available, like, all the time. Like, no question was a dumb question. And I think that, you know, to this day, I, like, I, I'll give you an example of another thing, too. Uh, I retired, freshly retired. I'm trying to figure out what exactly – I knew exactly what I wanted to do, but I just didn't know how I was going to go about it. And I called Mark, and I was like, I want to I start a podcast. I want to start a visual podcast. This is where everything was just audio. And I was like, I want to start a video podcast like five, six years ago. And Mark was like, okay, cool. I was like, man, I want you to be my first guest, and I want to talk about financial literacy and the wealth gap and all these different things. He's like, okay, cool. When? I was like, I mean – he was like, just say it. I was like, I really wish like I could start it like Saturday because I want to produce it and have it up by Monday because all these things was just like trending. Social media was popping. So he was like, okay, cool. I'm going to fly to LA, like got on a private plane, flew to LA, and we did the interview in his hangar. <laughs> now let that, let that like settle it. Like I'm not in the NBA no more. I'm not a free agent. I'm not, I can't. It was just the love of, yo, like, I got you. Like, whenever you need me, I'm, I got you. And it's always been like that with him. So he's just, bro, like, he's – Mark is the real deal, man. Like, no one can say anything bad about Mark Cuban. He's the real deal to me. Yeah, that's awesome. My short time there, we had we had a number of conversations, and I, I thought the same way. I mean, he, he has a passion for, for the Mavericks. He has a passion for uh, family, friends, and, and for life. And, um, you know, that's, uh, that's great to hear that he reached out as soon as you were done, and he went 110% to help. That's great. Absolutely. Couple questions before I let you go, because um, I, I know you're you're in the Wisconsin area. You're probably gonna go get out on a boat or something with your family later today. Um, toughest matchup that you ever had in the NBA? I mean, the toughest cover always was you know guys like you know my brother Kobe Bryant, uh, Tracy McGrady. Like people, people sleep on T Mac, and then I went on. Um, Rasheed Wallace and Bonzi Wells showed the other day, and, and people forget how tough like guys like Bonzi Wells and uh, Jabal Mashburn was. Like dudes that just like would beat, just beat you up offensively. You know what I mean? Like so physical, bruisers, and then Jamal just knew like exactly how to get to his spots and just turn around, shoot that nice little seventeen footer. Like some tough matchups right there. Who's the most overrated player kind of over the last 15 years or so in the NBA in your eyes? Man, overrated? Uh, That's a hard one because I know you you have a lot of relationships still. You don't want to throw anyone under the bus. Let's uh, go underrated then. If you don't want to answer overrated, let's go underrated. Yeah, because I don't put expectations on people. You know, like people are good enough. Like a lot of guys are good enough to get you fired. So like I don't I don't put too many expectations on guys, but like a lot of underrated guys, like that people just I still feel like guys that don't get like enough credit, like Demarcus Cousins when he's healthy, like he's a problem. Like I seen it close up, him being healthy, like kid's a super superstar, man. Like 
I think that when you look at what James Harden is doing in the league, and he always get criticized when you talk about the best players, he's never seldomly mentioned in the top three. I think he's so underrated. And, you know, uh, another big name that I feel like always get overlooked as well is Kawhi Leonard. Like, I think that he's probably going to be the first guy to win three championships with three different organizations. So it'd be definitely someone that, you know, is going to move up in that top 15 players, possibly top 20 all time uh, as well. Some great names you mentioned there. And, and I'm sure you're glad you don't have to chase those guys around. Just like I'm glad I don't have to chase <laughs> Allen Iverson and Steve Nash and Tony Parker around anymore either. Where, with all the success that you've had post-career, where do you see yourself in 10 years? What do you want to be doing? Still with the broadcasting? Uh, what is it for Karan Butler? Uh, you know, just, you know, continue to build your platform. Like, there's certain spaces that I want to build out, you know, from an entertainment standpoint. You know, my main focus has always been to, like, operate independently and own my own IP for those listening, my intellectual property. So, like, just create that content. So, I, you know, we do, we do documentaries where, you know, nominated for an Emmy Award this year. Hopefully we get it. Uh, we just got a National Bronze Telly Award for uh, the Markel Folk story that we did. And, um, you know, I want to do some writing. Uh, I penned my first essay that, you know, I did personally in the Players' Tribune. And, you know, I just want people to see that version more of, you know, just the way that I observe things and how I put it, you know, pen to pad. Um, so I'm going to get in that space as well and just create more and more content. So that's something I'm passionate about. And then other things that, you know, I do like from a real estate standpoint, all that other stuff, you know, I'll put my kids in position to, you know, eventually take over and run that space. But this is what I'm passionate about, like the media space. And I've been, you know, almost pulled away from it, you know, numerous times, you know, to go do some stuff in front office. But uh, this is my passion. I think this is where I'm needed at the time. Well, Karan, I appreciate you taking the time and, and connecting with me. Um, next time we, we cross paths, I promise you, lunch is on me for that technical foul years ago. Yeah, brother. <laughs> I'm coming out to the Spokane, too, man, because it ain't no games like a Gonzaga game. That so is I'm true. Awesome. <laughs> well, again, thanks for joining for the ISO with Dan Dickow on SB Live Sports. Karan Butler has been our guest. Thanks again, Karan. Yep, salute, brother. Appreciate it. The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.